Hello and welcome to Sobriety Elevated, the podcast that is committed to empowering you in your recovery and elevating your sobriety. Join us now for the next episode. We hope you create an incredible experience. Let's get the show started. And welcome back to another episode. Jim, Allison, and I, of course, believe it or not, we were talking after our last episode for another several minutes, and we decided we wanted to do another episode. And and the reason why is after talking to Allison, and you know, if you listen to the last episode, you got to know her and understand her life a little bit, but it really is pretty incredible how her entire life, she's been surrounded by alcoholics. When we were talking, it was almost like, you know, a shock to her to hear that and realize that how much alcohol has played a role in her life. And, and she's not really one that has struggled with alcoholism, but it's been all around her. And so we kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about that, just because I think there's so many people listening to this. There's probably more people listening to this that are in Allison's shoes than people that are in my shoes where I was an addict. And so I think it's important for them to hear their, her story even more so we can relate and people can realize that they're not alone. So, Allison, let's just go into to one of those earlier memories you have of how alcohol had affected your life. Oh, boy. Okay. So, my very first memory that I can recall of my of alcoholism affecting me, my mom and her father were both alcoholics. And I remember them getting into an altercation in the kitchen and my mom throwing a hot pan of sauce at my grandfather. The volatility of alcoholics, uh, the anger and the the way they lash out, the just the emotional instability when people are drinking is very scary. Then fast forward to when I was eight and she would go out on benders and leave me and my sisters at home alone as young children with the upstairs neighbors to keep an eye on us, you know, while, while she was out drinking and, you know, she'd come home drunk and angry. She was a very angry drunk, emotionally and physically abusive to uh, her children and her boyfriends to the extent I, n- I never knew whether she had been drinking or not. Cause she was just always angry, always emotional um, volcano I remember one night her boyfriend came home from work late and she took an iron frying pan and smashed his hand and broke it with the frying oh pan. Sounds like very yeah. alcoholic behavior to me. Yeah, very <laughs> Unfortunately, I've heard, I, I hear these uh, stories and different meetings and things all the time. Yeah. Well, when, when, pe- when alcoholics think about it, you, they don't understand how much they're scaring people with their behavior. I used to have nightmares that my mom was the devil. And that she lived at the bottom of a well, and she would try to bring me down there with her. It was very scary. (laughs) She was a scary human being. So my father got custody of us for most of our lives because my mom just could not cope with taking care of three children, which I totally understand. She didn't have the skill set to make enough money, and she was an alcoholic. And it was just not in her nature to be a mother. She was not built for the role. Then my father... At one point, he drank here and there, but not. He wasn't an alcoholic. He was actually anti-alcohol most of the time. One time we were spending the night at his girlfriend's house. 
at one one of the girlfriends he had and her daughter went out for the night with some friends and never came home. I opened the door in the morning to a sheriff telling us that her daughter had died in a drunk driving accident. Wow. That scared me. Scared me about drinking even more. <laughs> Needless to say. Yeah. So as a teenager, I became the designated mother of all of my friends and the designated driver. And I was made fun of a lot for it because I was the caretaker and I wouldn't drink and I would drive all my friends. And I remember one kid, his name was David, and he would call me Mother Hen. You're such a mother hen. This is like the age of 16. Well, this kid who called me Mother Hen and made fun of me died at the age of 20 in a drunken driving accident. (laughs) I, uh, I keep getting blown away with the with the impact that alcoholism has had on your life. How do you do it? How do you keep that smile on your face every day? Because every time <laughs> you and I have had a number of interactions over the last, I think we've known each other about a year. Yeah. And you always are upbeat. You're happy. How do you do it with that kind of a background? It's just, it is what it is. I don't know. I do have my meltdowns. I don't do it in public. So that's one of the other things about being married to an alcohol, an alcoholic is I was not allowed to be vulnerable. I was not allowed to be scared. I was not allowed to be anxious. I was not allowed to be anything but strong and upbeat all the time. And if I exhibited any negative emotion the answer from my husband was, you need to have a drink to relax. Oh, man. You need a drink. You need a drink. You need to drink. So he tried to encourage me to come to his level. I had a lot of anxiety after I had my second child because I had postpartum anxiety issues. And I would shake constantly. And I was a a hot mess, uh, psychologically just a mess. And there was zero support emotionally from him. His answer every time was, have a beer, have a glass of wine. I'm like, I don't drink. That's not the way I cope. I want to figure out how to deal with this. So I learned mindfulness and I learned meditation on my own. I started doing yoga I didn't want to take pharmaceuticals. I didn't want to take antidepressants. I wanted to figure it out. So I started chanting, meditating, doing yoga, figuring out what my diet, what was in my diet that could be creating anxiety. I quit caffeine. My anxiety finally went completely away when I quit diet soda. The aspartame, I guess. I don't know. May have been having an effect on my brain. I have no idea. Quit saying this stuff because I I struggle with anxiety a little bit still. And now if I have to get rid of caffeine and diet soda, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. That's all I got left. I I drink coffee again, but I don't. The diet and anything, I I don't. Kevin, there is a healthy way to get the caffeine. I drink coffee. I'll have, okay, Jim. This isn't a coaching session. Uh, yeah. This is a podcast. Uh, you know that. <laughs> but I don't do the. I, I don't to be do the, the diet stuff. When I want soda, yeah. if I ever get a craving for soda, I drink the stuff and I look for the stuff with the real sugar, like throwback sodas. Yeah. 
that's like once a year, like I'll get a weird craving for soda. Mostly it's water and coffee, <laughs> water, lots and, of water and, and coffee. And, and Kevin and everybody out there, I do have to say the coffee blend that I do, I actually want to find somebody that owns a coffee company because the coffee blend that I do uses nutritional mushrooms it actually uses cacao, which is chocolate beans that are roasted and ground like coffee, and then about a, a little bit of actual coffee. It's smoother than regular coffee. It has caffeine. It's nutritious. It delivers antioxidants. So you can you literally have it all. Jim, remember, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm over here here, and we need to start selling this coffee. So... Uh... <laughs> It's funny because well, we it's one of the goals for 2022. Too. Hey, <laughs> I know. Yeah, there um, we go. I know. So yeah, I don't always <laughs> have I, a smile on my face. <laughs> I go through my mood. Yeah, I, what what I think's incredible here, and what I what I keep hearing is, how can I say this? Um, it just all makes sense. Like most of the time, when you get to know people, everything just starts to make sense. You know, even my wife, you know, she married an addict and an alcoholic and it's like she kind of knew, you know, what she was getting into a little bit. Actually, she didn't know near to the extent or anything. So I'm not she'll kill me if she hears me say that. When you hear about upbringing, you hear about different way people are, it kind of all makes sense. Like there's some codependent behaviors that all make sense, you know, and like with you being mama bear and then your husband and you kind of knowing you're going to have to take care of him. It all makes sense. And I, I think that's on your on this side, you know, on the non-alcoholic side. We always talk about how it makes sense. Oh, this this alcoholic had trauma. This alcoholic had this or they, their their dad was mean to him or whatever it is and so that's why they're an alcoholic. It, it really is with everybody if we can have love and tolerance for everybody whether you're the one that, you know, cuz we would be like, well, how how would somebody that was raised by an alcoholic marry an alcoholic? Well, it just completely makes sense. It's just like me who was raised by a heavy drinker. How do I end up being a heavy drinker? It, it just makes sense. It's part of, I think, as humans, I'm starting to sound like you, Jim, but as humans, we need to just really just like love and accept and, and tolerate people and kind of see where they're coming from and get to know people. Like you said on the last episode at the end, you know, your advice whenever if you're with a loved one that's an addict was to talk to them. And I think that that's like the advice. If you're listening to this and you have somebody that you think struggling, just talk to them. It doesn't mean you say, hey, you need to stop. No, but just talk to them. Let's get to know each other. And maybe if you know someone who's married to an addict and you can tell that they're struggling, just talk to them. Whether you're an addict or not, you can go out there and just be like, hey, how are you doing? You know, what can I help you with? Like this is this is the stuff that that we need to be doing as people in recovery and people that are going to be champion recovery like me and Jim are, are trying to do. No, it's what we are doing. And you almost said the two magic words, love and understanding. If you can be love with another person and hear them from the space of understanding, as opposed to being defensive and offensive, with love and understanding, you can make a difference in people's lives. I think that touches on, I have a lot of guilt when it comes to leaving my husband, when I left him, when I finally called it quits and him subsequently dying and feeling like if I had stayed and I had been taking care of him, I would have noticed him getting sick. He was with somebody 
when he got sick. She was not the mama bear type at all. Like, complete opposite of me. She was his drinking buddy more so than anything else. But not like heavy drinker, but she, she was blinded like I was at the beginning of the relationship. You're in love or whatever. So you're ignoring the the drinking for the most part at the beginning because you love the person and you're not really looking long term. But anyway, so I feel I have a lot of guilt. Like if I hadn't left him, his kids would might still have a father and he might still be alive and blah, 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 blah. And after being divorced from him for many years and talking to other addicts and talking to people, I'm like, you know, I should have really tried to talk to him more, get to know him better, accept him for who he was. He did say at one point, he's like, you knew I was an alcoholic. Well, no, he never admitted he was an alcoholic. I could take that. You knew I drank when you met me. You married me this way. If you didn't like it, you should not never married me. And I was like, well, but things changed. I mean, I'm going to get really, really um, honest here. And this is embarrassing to me because I, this, this, this is really hard for me to admit or say, I don't know how to explain, but, um, so after we had children, he had his, uh, some people have affairs. He didn't have an affair. His affair was with a bottle, right? He substituted intimacy with me with alcohol. So our intimacy ended the second we had our second child. So there was zero, you know, maybe once a month, there would be some inkling of something, but it was very robotic type of, you know, there was no, for 18 years, it was like that, basically. So that was the reason I left. Because I just needed more intimacy in a relationship than I was getting. I wanted a connection with somebody, an emotional, physical, more than just being with somebody who could stay sober one night a month for a couple hours. <laughs> and that was that, you know, so, but he did ask me and he did say, again, if you don't like it, F and leave. So I left. I think at that point we were both kind of just done, but I have a lot of guilt about it because I figured, you know, maybe I should have just loved him through it. So, Allison, can you forgive yourself? Can you actually accept? I actually have. Okay, good. 2022. Yep. I said, yep. you know what? This is it. I'm done. Good. I'm done feeling guilty. I'm done berating myself. I'm done. This is a new year. I'm closing that chapter. Yes, I did shit. I don't, I'm not proud of. I, whatever happened in the past, I can't change it. I'm going to forgive myself and move on. I need that closure in my own head so that I can live a better life with another person who is going to fill the voids that I like that I never had with him. I never had that intimacy because the whole time he was an alcoholic and I just never realized that I didn't have that intimacy because I was blinded by that, you know, young love. And there's more to, we had a very physical relationship at the beginning, and that was not a good basis for relationship. 
at the end of the or at some point last episode we you had said you know you just figured that he would um he would change he would grow out of it you know and you said things like ignoring red flags and i see so many people you know i I'm, i sponsor a lot of young young people that are in and out of sobriety and they're trying or they're at least trying to make somebody happy and things like that so they come to different things and do different things and my advice to the women and the men is it's probably not going to change, you know, and hearing you talk through it and things like that. And don't ignore the red flags. And this is truly a, a disease. And it's something that unless we get treatment for, we're not going to get better. It's going to progressively get worse. And so for me, you know, people know that the 12 steps was my treatment and there's other treatments out there that work for people, different all kinds of different things that are working for people, but you have to get treatment if you have this disease. So if, if somebody's out there that you love and they're just, they're still in denial, you know, where, like you said, he went all of that. He died of something that was alcohol related and still never admitted that he had, a, he was an alcoholic. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And so we have to just be very careful. And, and I would say the red flags, ask the questions. And if you feel uncomfortable, you know, there's a red flag, just know they're probably, not going to change. And, you know, Allison, I really appreciate all of everything that you told us and um, being so vulnerable and telling us your story. And there's so many people out there that are affected by alcoholism and to the same extent you are. And I think that it's important that we hear those stories and other people talk about it and they can be open about it. And there's not this stigma of, oh, my, my husband's an alcoholic or, oh, I'm an alcoholic, all these different things. So, um, I appreciate you. I also appreciate you. And Kevin, one of the things you are the shining example of someone who did choose to change. So if you're out there and you know somebody, you can look at people like Kevin who chose to change and who chose to take the sober path. That happens more and more and more. And that is why this podcast is here. That's why we are going to continue to have episodes because we are committed that if you are an addict and you want to change, this is going to be one of the things that hopefully we can gently nudge you to change because it is possible. All I have to do is look at Kevin and know that it's possible. Well, thank you, Jim. And and with that, I will just... You're an amazing example, Kevin. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, so Amazing is not a word that would have been said about me a few years ago, so I'll take it. Again, we thank you so much for joining and listening to Sobriety Elevated. Please like us, share us, drop a comment, find us on Facebook, and just give us feedback. You know, we want to get better and we want to reach more people. Uh, our goal this year is to reach 100,000 people with this podcast, and, and we know that we can do it with the help of uh, people listening and, and, and with us just continuing to do the right thing. So thank you very much. Thanks again, Allison. And thank you, Jim, thank you. as always for your insights. And, and we will talk to you all soon and make it a great day and create an incredible day too.